turning to Ezekiel chapter 17, that portion that we read, I draw your attention tonight to the verse 22. Thus saith the Lord God, I will also take of the highest branch of the high cedar and will set it. I will crop off from the top of his young twigs a tender one and will plant it upon an high mountain and eminent. In the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it, and it shall bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a goodly cedar, and under it shall dwell all fowl of every wing. In the shadow of the branches thereof shall they dwell. Ezekiel chapter 17 is rich in imagery, and it contains a parable of two great eagles. The first eagle is the king of Babylon, and the second eagle is the king of Egypt. And at the time of Ezekiel, both nations have and are greatly affecting Judah. And in the early part of this chapter, God is particularly describing the actions of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He is the great eagle that we read about there in verse 3, with great wings, long wings, full of feathers. He's glorious looking, he's fearful, he's awesome. And he comes onto the mountain of Lebanon. He comes to the highest branch of the cedar and he crops off the top of his young twigs and carries it into the land of traffic, into a city of merchants. And under that imagery, the Lord is describing what Nebuchadnezzar is doing to Judah. He's taking its young king, Jeconiah. He's bringing him into Babylon, and he is, as it were, setting him in the land of merchants. This is where all the spices come through and pass through, a land of commerce. And this eagle has taken the king away and all the princes of Judah and many others and established them near the Tigris and the Euphrates. But what this eagle does with the king of Judah doesn't prosper. It's all going to fall apart. It's all going to come to an end. But there's a third eagle. Yes, a third eagle. One who soars the highest of all. One who is above King Nebuchadnezzar. One who is above the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. There is the Almighty God, the highest soaring eagle of all. And he is described as an eagle in Scripture, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, burreth them on her wings. So Jehovah alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. And so while God is not called an eagle in Ezekiel chapter 17, he is acting like a great eagle who is soaring over the forest, soaring over the cedar, and he also is going to do his cutting. He also is going to do his planting. Just as Nebuchadnezzar took a king from the top of the cedar, so also will the Lord. He's going to take a branch, a branch 
out of the house of David. He will take his king, and he will plant him and prosper him. And this is clearly a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, I will also take of the highest branch of the high cedar and will set it. I will crop off from the top of his young twigs a tender one. There's a tender one in the text. And God takes this tender one and he plants it. Plants it on a high mountain. It becomes eminent and preeminent. And it grows and flourishes. Not like the plantings of Nebuchadnezzar. It grows and flourishes. And all the fowls, all the fowls, winged, winged creatures in the world come and rest under the shadow of it. Now this is clearly a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is undoubtedly a reference to Messiah. There is no other king of Judah that fits this description. There is no other one that has fulfilled this prophecy. This cropped off tender branch becoming a goodly cedar under whose wings all fowl of every kind come and dwell is none other than Jesus Christ. This is the Redeemer to whom multitudes of all races shall come to and fly to and gather under and abiding under the shadow of his wings shall dwell in safety. It reminds us of the parable of the mustard seed that Jesus told us about. Remember how he said it's indeed the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it becomes the greatest among herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Nebuchadnezzar took King Jeconiah. He cropped him off. His project failed. But the great king of glory, he came and he cropped off a tender one. And his project will not fail. And of that tender one that he cropped off, God says, I have set him, my king, upon my holy hill of Zion, upon a mountain prominent and eminent. And that one himself says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession, and all the fowls of every wing shall come and dwell under your branches. So the one promising this, Almighty God, will do this. Verse 22, thus saith the Lord God, I will, I will take of the highest branch. I will crop off a tender one. A tender one. And that's what we want to speak about tonight. The Lord Jesus Christ is often depicted as a plant, a tender one. He's called... The plant of renown, 
in Ezekiel chapter 34. I will raise up for them a plant of renown, he says. And in Isaiah chapter 4 and in other parts of Isaiah and also Jeremiah, there are prophecies of the branch of the Lord. The branch of the Lord that will be taken and planted and be beautiful and glorious and be preeminent in the earth and unto it will the gathering of Israel be. There shall come forth a rod, Isaiah 11 says, out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Behold, the day has come, Jeremiah says, and I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper. This is the name whereby he'll be called the Lord our righteousness. All of these are prophecies of Christ. And you see here that he's the young twig, he's the branch, He's the tender one. He's the one who's cut off and cropped off, as it were, by God, and yet planted and grows and becomes a great tree, and sinners come under the shadow of his wings. But it is this name that I want to draw your attention to tonight, this beautiful name of Jesus Christ, a tender one. He's a tender one, a tender Savior, a tender Lord, It's a fitting description of our Redeemer, the tender one. That stands out in the chapter. That stands out in the text. You know, this chapter is a great painting. We would expect it to be a great painting because it is painted by the greatest painter of all, the Holy Spirit himself. But in all the dark forests of this chapter, standing out prominent is this little tender one, this twig that Jehovah himself takes and nurtures and causes to flourish the tender Jesus. He's the only one in this chapter that is soft in the midst of hardness. And you can ponder later all the hardness in the chapter. The hard kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh and the hard people and the rebellious people. It's full of hardness and cruelty. But in the midst of all that darkness of the forests and all these heights of cruelty by these eagles, there is a little twig, just a little twig that stands out, tender, soft and tender in the midst of all the hardness. There is one who is gentle and kind, one who is destined to receive multitudes under his shadow. It's the little tender one that stands out in my mind. You know, photographers sometimes take their color photographs and they highlight things that they want to be prominent in the photograph. And that thing is really the reason why they took the photograph. They have this large photograph, but really they've been focusing in on one particular thing and they want to make it prominent by some form of highlighting. And one of the ways that photographers can do that is to make everything else black and white and to just have that point of prominence in color. And that's what this chapter is like. If everything is black and white in it, there is the tender one in color, Jesus Christ. This is why this chapter was written. It was written to show us the tender one. This is why the Holy Spirit multiplied all these words so that he could bring out into prominence his tender one. 
Jesus Christ is the tender one, and we want to consider him tonight. That's a striking feature of our Lord, you know. That stands out about him, not only in this chapter, but in his life and ministry, as we read about it in the Gospels. And by this title, The Tender One, I wish to show three things. First of all, I want to show what he is in the eyes of the world. As they look on the tender one, they see weakness. The tender one has weakness. But then secondly, I want to look at this tender one and see that not only is he in the eyes of the world having weakness, but in his nature he is tender, and we want to see his gentleness. There's weakness, but there's also gentleness. And then thirdly, we want to see his attractiveness, because this is what makes him approachable and desirable. He has an attractiveness and an approachableness because he is tender. And those are our three heads and our three thoughts tonight. First of all, then, this sets forth the weakness of Jesus in the eyes of the ungodly. This soft, delicate twig at the outer limits of the tree, the royal house looks as if it's almost extinguished and extinct. But there at the outer limits of the tree, there is a tender one, a little sprig, as it were, growing out of the house of Israel, out of the house of David, one who is of the lineage of David, just a a little one. And he appears, and there he is appearing in weakness because he's just soft and tender. And any eagle could come along and take it and pluck it away and devour it, and that would be the end of it. So this little tender, delicate one is there in weakness. But Jehovah takes him. In the great 53rd chapter of Isaiah, we are particularly reminded about this aspect of Jesus Christ. Do you remember how it says there, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant? soft, just young, just weak, a root out of a dry ground. doesn't look like he's going to last. He's coming out of the dry ground, this little green sprout, a tender plant. Surely he'll not last. Surely he'll not see through the day. Surely he'll not endure the heat of life amongst Israel and its rebellious people. And he have no form nor comeliness as the people of Israel walk past and see this little tender plant coming out of the ground. He's no form nor comeliness. They don't want to nourish him. They don't want to take him in under their wing and protect him. In fact, they despise him. They would trample him under their feet. They would crush that tender plant that grows up before the eyes of the Father. He is despised and rejected of men. He hath no beauty that we should desire him. He's a tender plant. Born in poverty, laid in a manger of lowly birth. He was born of a lowly virgin who could easily have been without a husband had not grace operated in the heart of Joseph. 
tender plant. Who's going to protect him? Who's going to keep him? Who's going to preserve him? Herod thought he could send his men and cut off all the young sprites, all the tender plants in Bethlehem. He thought he could cut them down easily, but the Lord protected him. He's just a tender plant. He's just weak. Remember how he was raised in the despised community of Nazareth? Remember how Nathaniel says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Oh, it's a despised village, a despised community. And that's where Jesus is brought up. A tender plant. How could he survive in Nazareth? How could he survive amongst the despised people? And they themselves, whenever he grew to adulthood and began his public ministry, they themselves would have taken him and snuffed him out. They themselves, as it were, brought him to the brow of the hill and were ready to cast him over had he not escaped in the providence of his father. He's just a tender plant. A tender one. And everybody wants to kill him. And everybody wants to destroy him. And the religious leaders want to get him. He himself said, I'm a worm and no man. A reproach of men despised of the people. And he was exposed to the powerful religious leaders, this tender plant. And we could go through all his life and see how, how miraculously he survived. And then he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He's crying out in his weakness. What has Paul said? Though he was crucified through weakness, they took him and nailed him to a tree because he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He just became obedient to death, to the death of the cross. He went as a lamb. He's the lamb, the weak lamb, the powerless lamb, the humble lamb who just goes as to the slaughter. Jesus is the tender one. And so he become weak that he might be able to suffer in order to save his people from their sins. So, yes, it speaks of the weakness of Jesus, the tender one. But he deliberately become weak to save us. And we don't despise his weakness. And in his weakness is our salvation. And we love him, the tender one, the soft one, the weak one. And that brings us to the second thing. What he is in the eyes of the world, this weakness, it's also describing his nature in the eyes of his people. Because while the world looks, they see a tender branch ready to be crushed out and snuffed out, we look at him and we see one who is gentle. We love his gentleness. We love his meekness. We love his tenderness. He is a tender one to us. Now this word tender sometimes expresses the idea of softness and gentleness. And Christ is that. Now that weakness that the world sees, which they despise, is a good thing. 
For many reasons, it's a good thing in Christ, because not only was it necessary in order to save us that he become weak, but this experiencing weakness and going through the daily life of weakness, that equips him. That equips him to be tender-hearted. That equips him to know how we feel in our weakness. That equips him to know in the experience of weakness what his people have to go through, what his people have to suffer, what his people have to endure. And so it makes him tender-hearted to us who he loves and bought with his precious blood. It makes him an equipped Savior. It makes him a sympathetic high priest. The apostle taught that, didn't he? The Bible says he can deal gently with the ignorant and them that are out of the way, since he himself is set about with weakness. It equips him. It makes him a good priest. It makes him understanding. And that's why the apostle says, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, for he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He went through all the trials in his weakness. And therefore he knows how we feel. And as we look upon him, we see one who is tender, who has become tender through weakness for his people. I want to think about the tenderness of Jesus for a few moments. His words were tender words. As I said, this word is sometimes translated soft. For example, in Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath. It's the same word. A tender answer turns away wrath. The Lord Jesus is the tender one who knows how to give a soft answer. He knows how to give a tender word in season. The same word is also used in Proverbs 25, verse 15. A soft tongue breaks the bone. That just breaks it all down and melts the soul. And Jesus is the one who gives the tender word. The soft word melts. The soft word breaks. The soft word does the work where the hard word would never do it. And our Jesus is a tender one who knows how to give a tender word. And I could go endlessly through the Gospels and look at all the tender words of Jesus. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you a kingdom. Don't be downhearted and cast down because you're just tiny. You're just a little handful. Don't be afraid, little flock. He knows how to give a tender word because he's a tender heart. He's a soft one. And he has a soft mouth with gentle words for his people. Do you remember how the man was sick of the palsy? He was brought to him lying on the bed and that man was distressed, not just about his disease. Uh, his friends who brought him, they just thought it was a disease, his paralysis. But you know, that man had a really heavy heart because he was such a great sinner, and he knew it. And probably his paralysis had been brought about by sin, by the folly and foolishness by which he lived. And as he comes into the presence of Jesus, Jesus sees the, the heart of the poor sinner, and he speaks tenderly, and he says, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are all forgiven. 
They're all blotted out. They're all washed away. Remember how oftentimes his disciples saw him one occasion whenever he was walking on the water and they were alarmed and they thought it was a spirit and they were terrified. And you remember how he, he saw them and how he stopped with them and he says, he says, be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. It is I. It is I. And there's so many other examples how he, how he spoke a gentle word. You remember the thief on the cross in his last moments in his last few hours, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And there he is in agony and suffering himself and in the shame of Calvary and enduring all the pain and agony of affliction and bearing the sins of his people. He can still say a soft word to that sinner. And his mother too, and to John, you remember how he said, Behold thy mother and behold thy son, a soft word in the midst of his agony. You remember how he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. There's such gentleness, such softness, such quickness to forgive his enemies. Oh, there's none like Jesus, gentle of heart, kind of soul. You remember how he came to Paul? Paul was going through a difficult time and the Hebrews were about to tear him in pieces and the, the chief captain had to come down and rescue him. And how discouraged Paul must have felt. But the Bible says there stood by him the Lord that night. And what did the Lord say? Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must you also bear witness at Rome. You'll not die here, Paul. Be of good cheer. You have to go to Rome. He knows how to give a word in season. He's the tender one. He's the gentle one. His entreaties were tender entreaties. You remember how he saw the burdened and the heavy laden and how he cried out and called them, not embarrassed to call them, not ashamed because the gentleness of his heart cries out, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He's the tender one toward the burdened. He's the tender one to those who are laid down with the burden of sin. Remember how he said concerning the children, Suffer the little children to come unto me. He has time for the children because he's gentle. He is He's a tender one. You remember how in that last day of the feast, all the multitudes of the people were there, crowds and crowds. And Jesus stood and he cried with a loud voice, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He saw those thirsty souls. He saw them all in their ritual as they poured the waters down by the altar and in their darkness and in the famine of their sin-ridden souls, he cried out unto them that he has the water of life whereby they can be satisfied. His heart cried out because he's the tender one. His tears were tender tears, not crocodile tears, but drawn forth out of the tenderness of his heart Jesus wept, the Bible says, 
when he saw Mary and Martha and the people in their burden at the loss of the loved one. He groaned in his spirit and wept. He wailed. He saw them weeping and he wept. As for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. The tenderness of Jesus. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes, he says, because they do not keep thy law, my father. His tender, gentle heart. When he was come near the city, the Bible says, he wept over it. He's a tender one, isn't he? Isn't it so much proved by the Gospels and by the life that he lived? Do you not see the sincerity of his heart? Do you not see the pity and the truth of the tenderness of his compassion? Those tears are the genuine expressions of his gentle heart. He wept over the city. His eye was a tender eye, like Leah's, tender eyed. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, the Bible says, because with that tender eye, he saw them the way that they were as those that were fainted. He didn't see, he didn't just see bad people. He saw imprisoned people. He saw burdened people. He saw people under the dominion and domain of Satan. That's what he saw. And he had compassion. Not hardness, not cruelty, not pride and self-righteousness, but compassion. When he saw a great multitude, he was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick, the Bible says. And when the Lord saw the woman, the widow of Nain, the Bible says he had compassion on her. His eye, his tender eye, seeing everywhere it fell, it was a compassionate eye. He's a tender one. You remember how he looked at Peter? You remember how Peter caught that eye? He caught the tender eye of Jesus. He heard the cock crow. He had all the words in his memory that Jesus had said. But when he caught the tender eye, he went out and wept bitterly. The eye of the tender one. Oh, sinner, if you just catch a glimpse of his eye, if you see down through the gate into his soul the compassion of Jesus, it'll melt you. It'll win you. It'll draw you. And so Jesus had compassion on them. His hands were tender hands. You remember how the blind, how he touched their eyes? He didn't have to. He just had to speak the word. He could have been cold and callous and just said the word and give the commandment. But that's not Jesus' heart. He wants to put his hands on the blind. And the poor leper, nobody ever touches a poor leper. And he touched him. He was moved with compassion. And he put forth his hand and touched him and cleansed him of his leprosy. 
because his hands are tender hands and his touch is a gentle touch. He's the tender one. And he can touch you. You may think, oh, I'm just a poor vile leper. Who would ever touch my heart? Oh, I'm so dark in sin, so beyond hope and remedy. The tender one can touch you. His works were tender. Remember how he worked with the man of Gadara? Oh, and the man of Gadara just wanted to follow him everywhere. And Jesus says, look, go home, go home. And just tell everybody what great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. That's what the Gadara was all about. Why did Jesus go over the lake? Why did he go through the storm? Why did he go up into that land, into the cemetery, and face all that terror? Who would have done it? Who would have dared set foot in his presence, that man, that terrible man? Who would go near him? There was one, the tender one, the one who had compassion. There's no heart like the heart of Jesus, I tell you. Remember how Paul, Paul was a great preacher, but he knew the best argument of all with sinners. He said, I beseech you, by the meekness and gentleness of Jesus Christ. That's a great argument for sinners. His cross was a tender, saving work. When he gave himself for us in the tenderness of his heart, He's the tender one dying on the tree. Who else would do it? His forgiveness is a tender forgiveness. Do you remember how Paul said, you be kind one to another, you Christians. You be tender-hearted to each one amongst yourselves, and you forgive one another. And you do it with tender-heartedness. Well, why, why should I do that? Why should I be tender-hearted? Why should I stoop and be kind to my brethren? Why should I even bother? Because Christ has tenderheartedly forgiven you. That's why. So if you're bitter, if you're hard and unforgiving, if you're callous and proud and looking down on others, come to Jesus' feet. Just look at the tender one. Look into his eye. Get a melting the way Peter got it. Get a melting in your heart. The tender one can do it. And that leads us to the last thing, and very quickly, his approachableness, his attractiveness. It is this tenderness that makes awakened ones to go to him because they see tenderness, they see compassion, they see gentleness and softness, and they come to him. They see one that is approachable, one who is amiable, one who is kind. The grace and the tenderness of Jesus is his magnetism. That's why this tender one grows and flourishes and his branches spread. And what is happening? All the fowls of every wing, clean and unclean, they're all flying to him because he's the tender one. His magnetism of grace is drawing them in. It's his tenderness that won us. 
It's his grace that draws us. It's his gentleness that wins us. And all kinds of sinners are drawn to the tender one. All foul of every wing, it says in the text. In the shadow of the branches thereof shall they dwell. And so to perishing sinners, he draws attention to the great excellency that was. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing here, you know. He's drawing attention to the great excellency of this sprouted branch. And what is the great excellency of it? It's his tenderness. That's his excellency. And Jesus did the same. Did he say, I'm rich, I'm powerful? No. He said, I am meek and lowly in heart. And you sinners shall find rest unto your souls. He's the tender one. What did the psalmist say? Lord, your gentleness has made me great. There was nothing else but your tenderness, your compassion. Jesus is known as the one who doesn't break the bruised reed. Oh, anybody else throws it aside. That's a bruised and battered reed. No good, useless. But Jesus doesn't break the bruised reed. He does the opposite, in fact, because of his tenderness. He takes it in. He nourishes it. He works with it. He spends time with it. He helps it. And he doesn't put out the smoking flax either, even though he can see no light or no spark, just the smoke. But he fans it and blows on it and brightens it because he's tender. And in the Gospels, that's what we see, this drawing attractiveness of Jesus. He has no sword or axe to harm men and to cut men. Nobody would ever come to him if he had an axe or a sword and was cruel and harsh and malicious. Nobody would go near him. But he did not harm anybody. He never hurt a soul. He did use a weapon one occasion. We do know that. But it was for the poor beasts to put them in the right path as he drove them out of the temple from the robbers. The worst harm he ever did was to overthrow some money tables. And nobody got too annoyed about that except the robbers. The only other thing that he did that harmed something was the fig tree that he cursed and warning Israel of their danger and plight. He never hurt a soul. He never lashed a human being. He never lifted up his hand. He never fought with a fellow man. He took all, he suffered all, but he only returned all with kindness and forbearance. That's our Jesus. So you see who he is in the text, the tender one. You see why he draws men? Why he wins men? This is Jesus. The vilest sinner can come to him and know he'll be received. He can know it. He'll be received because he's a tender one. He never turned any away. If you are but poor and contrite, 
you can fly under his shadow. For this man receiveth sinners. Even the most unclean fowls are welcome to flee unto Jesus Christ. He drives none away, and all may flee to him. And every soul may cry, O Lord, remember thy tender mercies for, and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. O Lord, withhold not thy tender mercies from me. You're the tender one. And I come to thee needing the tenderness of your heart and the grace of your life. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Remember how Zacchaeus, he sought Zacchaeus out and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. Come down, you poor sinner. Come down. Everybody despises you. Everybody hates you. Everybody would make you the outcast. But come down for the day at your house I must abide. And he came down. It won him. It melted him. He flew down and he received him joyfully, the Bible says. And so, sinner, if you come to Christ, never forget he's a tender one. He'll take you in. He'll save you. He can't cast you out. Because he's the tender one.